Hi, I'm Dr. Jacqueline Champlain, a family medicine physician in Austin, Texas. And joining me today is my friend and colleague, Aaron. Hello, my name is Dr. Aaron King. I'm a family medicine physician in San Antonio, Texas. Please take a moment and review the disclaimers Let's get started. Today we'll be discussing the treatment selection for older adults with type 2 diabetes. Thinking about the older adults with type 2 diabetes that you'll probably see in your clinic, I know it's easy to feel overwhelmed by available treatment options and how to tailor them to the whole patient. Additionally, many of us are new to using the ADA framework to help individualize treatment plans. Let's look at a case. We'll meet Casey, a lovely 70-year-old lady who has had diabetes for over 15 years. She is on basal bolus insulin and the ARB, the calcium channel blocker, the statin, and she's taking two metformins in the morning. Casey lets us know that her blood sugar has never been very good and lately it seemed to have gotten worse. If she's less than 100 when she checks her blood sugar, she'll treat herself with a big glass of orange juice. She frequently omits that rapid acting insulin dose because she doesn't want to poke herself in the fingers. She has inconsistent eating patterns. So sometimes she eats, sometimes she doesn't. And if she skips a meal, then she overdoes it because she's gotten too hungry. Her daughter assists with insulin administration because she has a little bit of a minor cognitive decline. And she is living with her daughter who is supporting her financially. We're going to turn to treatment selection yeah, so what I would like to highlight here, and this is obviously a very complicated slide with a lot of information, but I'd like to just briefly run down the different classes of medications that we have and talk about the pros and the cons of each one. First, we have the sulfonylureas, a class that's been around for a long time, very effective, very inexpensive. However, we do run the risk of hypoglycemia and weight gain with these medications. Next, we have insulin, as in the case with Casey. We have both basal and bolus. She happens to be on both and also very effective, but of course, once again, we see weight gain, hypoglycemia, and we also have complexity here, right? Insulin is something that is difficult for both providers and patients sometimes to manipulate. Next, we have metformin, a foundational drug for type 2 diabetes, highly effective, no substantial weight gain, and no hypoglycemia. So all things that we like, but we do need to be careful to make sure that we monitor the renal function as renal decline may reduce the dose or eliminate the ability to use metformin. Next, we have the DPV-4s, a class that primary care really has written a lot of in the last 10 to 15 years. And while they tend to have very low side effects and no hypoglycemia or weight gain, we do see that they have limited efficacy. Moving on down the list next, we have the SGLT2s. These have been a very popular class here within the last 10 years. And of course, we know there is now emerging cardiovascular and renal data around this class. They do not cause hypoglycemia, and they also will cause some weight loss, which is something we have to consider. But remember that the efficacy of SGLT2s is driven by the renal function. And so they're intermediately powerful, but as renal function declines, so will that efficacy. Next, we have the GLP-1 agonists. These are highly effective and very efficacious at lowering A1C. They, of course, cause weight loss and have no risk for hypoglycemia when used uh, by themselves or other agents that don't create hypoglycemia. However, we do need to remember their GI side effects and also cost may be an issue depending on the patient. Last but not least, we have a category that we maybe don't think as often as we should. Those are the fixed ratio combinations. That is a combination of basal insulin with a GLP-1. They have high to very high efficacy, 
there is some risk for hypoglycemia and some amount of weight gain that could be possible, although usually we see the GLP-1 portion offsetting the weight gaining effect uh, that we might otherwise see with basal insulin. Jack, any thoughts about this last set of uh, groups? In older patients, it's important to remember that weight loss may not be a desirable side effect. I agree with you that fixed ratio combination drug can be very handy because you get a good two for one. Yeah, and I think, you know, when looking at the complexity of this slide, and we presented it very quickly, uh, it's, it, it, it reminds us how complicated sometimes the job can be to describe these pros and cons to our patient and help them make an appropriate decision. So treatment de-intensification, despite the fact that we all understand the benefits, it occurs pretty infrequently. So this definitely is an area where all providers could improve. Yeah, one thing that jumps out to me on this data, Jackie, is that we see that about half of patients on sulfonylureas and insulin, a combination of two agents that create hypoglycemia are not de-intensified in this study. And that's a little bit concerning. I think also what's interesting is that we see about only 24% getting de-intensified on insulin alone. I think the key point here is to be aware that both of these groups uh, can cause that hypoglycemia and may need to be looked at uh, continuously for de-intensification. Well, Aaron, I also think, too, that sometimes when we inherit a patient that comes to us on the basal bolus regimen with the sulfonylurea, especially as we gain a more nuanced understanding of the drug classes available to us to care for these older adults, that we then feel empowered as their primary care provider to decide what a better regimen might be for the patient, both for their safety, but also thinking that we need to adjust their glycemic targets. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, we talk about inertia and inertia of not getting to goal. And then we've talked a little bit about inertia of not changing the goals. And another inertia point here is what about that patient that comes to us, maybe on a basal bolus regimen that we're not used to managing? Do we feel empowered enough to be able to adjust that or, or switch that? And I think next we're gonna go to a slide that really speaks to that. I think this is a really fascinating trial called the Beyond Study. We're going to take patients here who are on basal bolus regimens. That is going to be in the pink uh, that you see. The average total daily dose here was 62 units in starting this trial. And then we're going to be randomized to one of two groups. They were going to be on that fixed racial combination that we talked about, a combination of basal insulin plus a GLP-1, or they were going to be randomized to basal insulin plus an SGLT2 inhibitor. And you can see from this data here, when we look at both insulin dose, level one hypoglycemia, and body weight, that we drop insulin levels quite substantially in either one of these groups. Um, we also see much less hypoglycemia. And remember that this trial is set up so that we could achieve similar glycemic control. So we're, we are reducing insulin and reducing hypoglycemia without increasing A1C by moving off of basal bolus and moving to one of these two arms. When we look at body weight as expected, we see neutrality among the basal bolus group because not much was changed. But when we look at the fixed racial combination, we see actually fairly substantial weight loss, probably due to the addition of that GLP-1 and slight weight loss in the SGLT2 basal insulin arm, again, probably because of the uh, addition of the SGLT2. What are your thoughts about this data? I think this is really quite uh, interesting and fascinating adding in that GLP-1 did seem to really help. And it makes sense intuitively, the patients need less insulin when we have that glucagon-like peptide, which is the manager of insulin. Mm -hmm. So when patients can take less of something that makes their blood sugar low, using that fixed ratio combination insulin is easy too, because then the patients just take that one dose and they need less of the insulin. So made good sense. Yeah, great point. 
frankly, the single injection is easy for the patient, it's easy for their caregivers, and we see that comparable reduction in A1C, um, lower rates of the low blood sugar, and less weight gain. We hear that a lot, um, and, and so we don't think about after someone has been on insulin for a while that that weight gain can, can steadily increase over time, and that certainly can be a concern for our patients. Turning back to Casey, we'll recall that this pleasant 70-year-old lady um, has an A1C of 8.5, concerned, feeling like she's just really not getting her blood sugars how she'd like, which I think is an important thing for us to hear when the patients say, I just am not feeling successful managing my diabetes. Erin, what would your A1C goal be for Miss Casey? Yeah, so we think back to the ADA framework where we mm -hmm. talk about younger, healthier patients, maybe A1C less than seven, uh, intermediate risk patient, uh, I think that Casey here falls in that intermediate category, and so that would put us into an A1C less than eight. Uh -huh. And I think in general, because she's on insulin, we should even say between seven and eight. So if we kind of let her go too low, especially on this basal bolus regimen, we know that she's gonna be hypoglycemic at times and be at risk for falls, cognitive impairment, and all the things that we've discussed. So I think uh, seven to eight would be a nice target for this patient. Would you use deintensification or simplification, your goal? And if so, what would be your recommendations? So I think, you know, the social setting here is important, right? So the daughter is administering the insulin and the, the patient really is dependent on the daughter to, to administer the therapy. And as such, we know intuitively that basal bolus is going to be a real challenge for this, this patient and this family. And so I think using simplification here is probably uh, important for criteria number one. Now, when it comes to deintensification, you know, we just set our A1C target at seven to eight, and Casey right now is at 8.5. So I don't know that we would necessarily de intensify her from the standpoint of A1C. But one thing that we might do when we mean deintensification, as we saw from the BEYOND trial, is maybe take this basal bolus patient and, and, and put her on a regimen of either basal plus SGLT2 or basal plus uh, uh, GLP-1 in the form of a, a fixed ratio combination. And uh, clearly that BEYOND trial data suggested that Casey could be better off with, with one of those two approaches. And then she had expressed concerns about having hypoglycemic episodes, and so she's taken this big old glass of orange juice each time. How would you address that with her? Yeah, so we think about this in terms of glucose variability, right? And so what we knew from that BEYOND trial was that the A1Cs were the same, whether it's basal bolus or the other two arms. And what that means, though, is that we also are having less hypoglycemia in the comparator arms. Right. That therefore mandates that they're ha le having less hyperglycemia, too. So even though we didn't see data on glucose variability, we can infer, I think, correctly that either of those regimens would probably have less variability and lead to the patient not having to over her low blood glucose as we saw. I agree with you. I think that Casey's A1C goal would be eight. Um, I agree because she's got hypertension, hyperlipidemia, that she definitely falls into that middle group of patients. I think that we can expect reasonably that her life expectancy is still pretty good. So we do want to manage her factors. She's got a great um, GFR still, so we want to preserve that renal function. And it certainly is nice that we do have the ability to have her have help in terms of her injections via her daughter. Let's go through um, each treatment class like you had done before for us so nicely, Erin, and specifically think about what would be the considerations for Miss Casey. 
So these are the same categories that I discussed earlier. And now in the framework of Casey's situation, we can talk about each one. You know, I think because of the concerns about weight gain and hypoglycemia, we can deduce that probably a sulfonylurea is not a great option here. No. In addition to that, she's already on basal bolus regimen, as you know. And many of us usually will not use a sulfonylurea in the setting of already being on uh, that combination of insulin. Similarly, premixed insulin obviously would simplify the regimen, but the problem here is that you're going to have a lot more glucose variability, and you're more likely to have hypoglycemia on a premixed regimen usually than a, even a, a basal bolus regimen. When it comes to DPV-4s, again, we talked about this could be a good option for the patient in that it has a very low side effect profile and maybe a consideration. However, one thing to keep in mind, again, is that the efficacy is somewhat reduced compared to our other options. Yeah. So we need to make sure that this is going to be a good value for this patient. And then when we look at the SGLT2s, very similarly, while they can have benefits in the cardiovascular and renal space, as I mentioned, the, the reality here is that as her renal function declines, we're going to get a reduced A1C. And so we do need to think again about cost and value. When it comes to the GLP-1s, this is probably a good option here, and many of us would probably go this route in one form or another. We get very good efficacy despite you know losses in renal function. We'll still get that uh, efficacy without any additional hypoglycemia especially if her insulin is adjusted accordingly. And then last but not least, we mentioned earlier the fixed ratio combination, yeah. and that might be a nice way to simplify things by getting that GLP-1 in already with a basal injection that she's doing. And we know that cost is a big issue, especially in the Medicare space these days. And oftentimes adding uh, an agent like a GLP-1 is a good idea, but it's going to come at an additional cost. If we can combine those two into one copay, uh, that can also be beneficial as well. In summary, Individualized treatment targets and therapeutic approaches should be informed by patient-specific medical, psychological, functional, and social factors. So addressing our patients in all of these domains helps us to provide optimal control for the older adult in type 2 diabetes. Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. And just in summary, I want to restress what we've talked about here. We know we've talked about setting appropriate goals. We've talked about simplification of the regimen, both on a day-to-day -day operation and on a cost side, right? Mm -hmm. And then we've also talked about de-intensification, that it's okay for us not to shoot for overly aggressive goals and that that may be counterintuitive to what we want to achieve. Older adults requiring that therapy, de-intensification, or simplification, we should think more about those fixed ratio combinations um, to get the job done. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for your time. We hope that was helpful.